the careers podcast with the information you need to take the next step National Careers Week 2024, LMI UK playing its part as always in that. Now, make sure that with the podcast, you click on subscribe in the place where you get your podcast. Nick, we've got two guests on this one who work for two separate organisations and entities. The parallel is the overriding theme here that opportunities abound for weather and climate professionals. Yes, absolutely. We are really excited about this episode for the just the, the sheer importance of the industry that we're uh, we're getting a, a key insight into. So very excited. This is our Careers Week episode with with that happening right now at the beginning of March, and we're something that we we really support and endorse and want to signpost. There's so much good stuff going on. Uh, and you'll find all that at nationalcareersweek.com. We, we've had Nick Newman, the, the CEO and founder of Careers Week. He's been on the podcast. If you go through the archives, you'll find a, uh, an interview with him, which is definitely worth having a listen to. And recently we had uh, Andrew Bernie Bernard, who's also part of the management group uh, for National Careers Week, just a couple of episodes ago. So, uh, yeah, nice to kind of tie that connection in uh, and really uh, cheering on all that happens yeah. as part of Careers Week. Quite so, Nick. Uh, let's run with this then. Now, Amelia Adcroft works for Aurora Energy Research, and Hannah Mallinson is with the Royal Meteorological Society, Armet. So Hannah first, then it's Amelia. Inside View. I am Science Engagement Manager at the Royal Meteorological Society and essentially what that means is that I am responsible for kind of the various ways that the society engages with different audiences on the science of weather and climate and that's outside of the classroom so I kind of look after informal education if you want to call it that. Now, the Royal Meteorological Society is the UK's uh, professional learner society for weather and climate. So we have just over 3,000 members. But our mission really is to kind of engage, enthuse and really educate by promoting the understanding and application of weather and climate science for all. Uh, So in my role as science engagement manager, it's extremely varied. I I don't think I've had a couple of months the same in the four years that I've been here, but I support the delivery of our events and conferences programs. So I get involved in kind of program development, sorting speakers, helping out on the day. I help communicate the science that's published in our peer-reviewed journals. Uh, We have eight academic journals. And so I communicate that to different audiences, people that may not ordinarily come into contact with academic literature. I help deliver uh, some training. So we offer climate change communication training to um, a variety of different clients on essentially what it says on the tin, how best we can communicate climate change to different audiences. And then I also am involved in engaging with different sectors that kind of where weather and climate essentially has a role to play. Um, So the biggest ones we're working with at the moment are the energy and insurance sectors. And then outside of that, I commission ad hoc content. So I've worked on some books that we've published uh, for the public before. I've commissioned things like briefing papers. Um, I have done some podcasts as well quite a few years ago. Um, And then A big part, which I work with our formal education arm, is on all of our career kind of support resources and guidance that we offer to not only our members, but also kind of the wider weather and climate community. 
sounds like you've got a slightly busy diary there, Hannah, <laughs> to say the least. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> slightly, slightly packed. I mean, obvious question, I guess, but STEM subjects, I'm guessing yes. that they are, they're vital, really, in a conversation that, that is centred around careers for weather and climate professionals. Yes. Qualifications in subjects like maths and physics, which are STEM, they really are going to give you kind of the most options when it comes to careers in weather and climate. However, I would say that subjects like uh, computer science, geography, chemistry, obviously they are still STEM. They are also very useful. And if you look at kind of uh, undergraduate courses in the UK for meteorology, they all actually do require kind of a maths and or physics A-level or equivalent, things like uh, Scottish hires. So yes, I would say that a a background in STEM is key, um, particularly for a career in in weather. On that point, I will just say that the RMETS website, uh, which is www.armets.org, we do actually have a a really helpful page that provides lots of information about courses that are available um, if you're looking to study something in weather and climate. And there you, I mean, you can find all the different types of options in terms of degrees that are relevant for making that career. There is a caveat here that I do want to mention. So what I've just said there is very relevant to a particular kind of weather roles, but meteorology obviously covers climate as well. And a STEM background definitely benefits you working in climate and is crucial in some roles. However, I would say not all pathways into climate necessarily need a STEM background. Uh, And I think kind of best examples of that are roles such as kind of environmental lawyers or or journalists or even potentially more creative things like filmmakers, where in that role you can still be working on or around climate, but yet kind of your core background, it, it doesn't need to come from a STEM subject. And when we look at uh, drivers, motivations, etc., passions for going into a particular career, Hannah, caring deeply for mm. the planet, for the environment, I, I, I would say it's bound to have its part to, to play. Can, can that be said of yourself? Yes. Okay. So I think for, a, for, for anyone who's considering a career in climate or is already working in climate, my personal opinion is that kind of caring deeply for the planet plays a significant part mm. um, and it's often their key driver. It's definitely why I am passionate about kind of the work we're doing in communicating climate change kind of efficiently and accurately. And yeah, I think if you ask anybody who is working in climate, they're going to say, oh, that's going to be a part of why they have got to where they are. For a career in weather, I think it does still play a role, mm. but um, perhaps a little less so because in my experience and kind of from my background, I think what's more important is really kind of an appreciation and keenness for um, understanding like the everyday physical environment. So when I was younger, I was very much always asking kind of why is that rainbow or cloud formed there? Why is it mm-hmm. raining? Why is it cold today, but mild tomorrow sort of thing? Mm-hmm. And I think that interest in understanding kind of how our present weather works, it hasn't ever changed for me. And I think that plays a big driver in quite a few people who work in weather. There are a, a wide range of options once somebody is, is in this sector, aren't they? Can you give us a bit of a sense of, of, of those options? Yeah, so there are lots of options um, and there's many different employers too. So I think it's easiest to really talk about the different types of employers mm. firstly. So they're in the UK, kind of the UK Met Office and universities are probably kind of the biggest employers. Um, but there are many other organisations that employ kind of smaller numbers of um, weather and climate scientists. So you have kind of private weather forecasting companies, you have more sector based 
roles. So insurance companies, energy companies, um, which Amelia will talk about a bit more later, they will recruit meteorologists or um, climate people with climate expertise to, to support them in the work they're doing. You have climate service providers, which are essentially, in case you, people who are listening are not aware, they provide um, and help people use kind of climate data and information knowledge to essentially assist decision making. And that is a growing field, I would say, within weather and climate jobs. Uh, and then there's also environmental consultancies. Um, there are jobs associated with teaching, communicating, and also public engagement. And again, that area is increasingly growing at the moment. So yeah, they're all the kind of different employers. Um, in terms of roles, I think people probably have most likely heard of things like operational meteorologists or broadcast meteorologists. So they're the people that you see on the TV presenting the weather, or they're the people that are sat at the airports in the UK kind of giving guidance to the pilots about whether and where they can fly, the route they should take. And also people who are briefing those at sea, you know, the route that the ship can take, whether it's safe to depart, etc. Then there's also a lot of roles behind the scenes, people that work in data assimilation, which is where um, all of, well, actually the first role before data assimilation is kind of people working in observations. Um, so how we, and instrumentation, how we measure kind of the temperature today, pressure, all the different variables that we feed into our models that then help us predict the weather and the climate. And that data assimilation part there is how we get those observations into the model and make sure it blends well to produce a, an accurate forecast, essentially. And then there are lots of research roles, which generally are, and um, the positions are sitting in those universities. And then there's a whole host of different role names, I will call them, mm. um, or job titles, I should say, in different sectors. Um, so it may not immediately be obvious that that person is a meteorologist, especially in places like insurance. And I would say actually even the energy sector, it's not always obvious that that job role requires kind of meteorological expertise. But yeah, there's a whole host of opportunities, I'd say, um, working in meteorology. Armets obviously have this very wide ranging uh, remit. What else can it educate and inform on, Hannah? We have a lot that we can offer our members, but also the wider public. So we do events and conferences. We have our journals. We have a Met Matters blog, which is a free kind of online blog that publishes regular content on everything, uh, lots of different topics in weather and climate. Uh, we have our Weather Photographer of the Year competition, uh, which runs annually, kicks off in April uh, this year. And then we have a big education program so kind of our mission around education is really well our aspiration sorry is that we want every student to leave school kind of with a basic weather and climate literacy so that they essentially understand the weather that affects them they can engage with the messages that are put forward by the media and really make informed decisions about their own opportunities and responsibilities so the society is, is really busy at the moment working with and supporting exam boards and policymakers to make sure that all of the opportunities to improve that weather and climate literacy of our young people uh, within the current curricula of the UK are used. And we do have a school's website, actually, which is www.metlink.org, and that provides a whole host of teaching resources on weather and climate, obviously, to, to support teachers who perhaps are teaching about uh, meteorology but don't necessarily have the background that us, others do uh, and then something else I'd, I'd really like to mention here is we are 
doing quite a lot at the moment to support our youth and early career community. So we do have a, a special interest group, which is essentially a group of youth and early careers that volunteer their time with us three times a year. So about an hour or an hour and a half each meeting. And they help us ensure that the needs of youth and early careers who are considering or working in meteorology, that we are meeting those needs. So they provide feedback on ideas that society are planning or new initiatives that we're thinking of implementing. They also can tell us what they need, uh, maybe a gap that exists in in providing new skills or career support or a new opportunity for networking that the society can essentially work on and fulfil and support them. And we have just launched our Early Careers of Colour Network, which is essentially again what it kind of says on the tin it's a network for people of color who are working or um, studying a career in weather and climate um, and it's a safe space essentially for them to talk to each other share things and essentially support each other and part of that we have also got a diverse voices webinar series where we are hearing from different people of color and their experiences so far in metrology. So yeah, we're doing a lot of work for early careers because it's really important um, and a priority for the society to ensure that we are supporting them and making sure that they kind of start the first initial years starting out in metrology are as good as they can be. So in conclusion, fair to say then that with the society offering career support to those still at school, that this can start as early as the primary phase, that it generates that sort of spark of interest, the enthusiasm and the the passion. So it can begin that soon, Hannah. Yes, definitely. Um, As I said, we have our Met Matters um, blog, Hmm. which really is all kind of plain language, simple to understand content on weather and climate. So that's a really good first port of call for anybody that's interested in learning a bit more about weather and climate. Our NetLink website has a whole host of resources for teachers, but also just general information as well that um, is easy to understand for secondary um, students. I've mentioned that we've got quite a lot of career resources, but I haven't actually said exactly what we've got. Um, so I think here yeah, for anybody that potentially, you know, likes the physical side of, of geography or the down to earth side of physics and is, you know, interested in learning more about potentially what they could do in weather and climate. We have two careers in meteorology booklets and we have a careers in weather and climate booklet, which the latter one is more aimed at uh, secondary school students. They are available on our website and they give a whole host of profiles of different people working weather and climate and kind of their backgrounds, how they got to where they got to, the skills that they think are important. So that's a really, really good resource for anyone who wants to learn more on that. We also hosted a virtual careers day last year and the recording from that is available on our YouTube channel if you want kind of a bit of a broader overview for careers advice. And lastly, we also have a whole series of YouTube videos that the theme is so you want to do something about climate change so they are I think we've got 12 11 or 12 people there who have a role in climate um, and they're very varied really interesting and yeah if you if you're thinking more about climate than weather then I would really recommend that you go and and listen to those the careers podcast I'm an energy modeling analyst at Aurora Energy Research Our company produces long-term forecasts of electricity prices and other aspects of the energy market. So as an energy modeling analyst, I'm in an entry-level role helping to write the code of our forecast models. 
Um, and we care a lot about meteorology because generation from renewable energy technologies or energy demand for heating, these things are really strongly influenced by the weather and we need to represent their impact on the market. Personally, I work on features related to various particular parts of the energy market. So I interact a lot with other teams in the company, um, which use those aspects of the model for publishing our reports or conducting consulting work. And then I collaborate with other modelers to make sure that all of our code fits together. What was it that made you choose meteorology? And, and what drew you to that particular line of work in industry? Yeah, so I was doing my undergraduate degree in physics. Um, and I think I'd gotten into physics um, as my degree because I really enjoyed the feeling of understanding phenomena that I'd seen in my daily life. Um, and so same as Hannah said, uh, moving into atmospheric physics within my physics degree, you can really see see the impacts of, of this research. You can see clouds in the real world. You can see weather patterns. So I found it a really interesting area because it's an ongoing area of research and there are really clear uh, real world impacts. And we're all going to benefit from improved forecasts or better understanding of the potential risks of climate change. And then I became interested in the energy industry because I thought I'd be able to use a lot of the knowledge and skills from my physics degree and of meteorology. Um, and I'd be having a positive impact because I'd be supporting the, the decarbonization of the power sector. And with the growth of renewable energy, there's so much opportunity. There's going to be a need for so many people to work in this area. Um, when I started thinking about jobs, um, some energy generation companies were looking for really specific engineering backgrounds, which made didn't fit um, my atmospheric background quite as well. But when I came across Aurora at a careers fair, um, because they work in our market analytics, kind of data analysis, um, they were open to lots of different quantitative backgrounds. Um, since we work across all aspects of the energy market and many different regions with lots of different clients, um, I've been able to get a really good overview of the whole um, energy sector and it's been really good training for our first role. I was going to ask you, that would have been my next question about your, your pathway and whether you went sending emails, phone calls, knocking doors physically, but, but actually careers fair, which is really interesting because it's not something that comes up a lot, but of course they are held across the country and held fairly regularly, but you found that face-to-face -face contact was kind of the, the clincher, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, there are certainly different places that I, I'd applied to, um, I, I think it was very helpful to have had the opportunity to speak to somebody who was working at the company before applying. Um, they had come from a maths background. We were able to relate to each other um, and, and talk about the skills and the work involved. Um, so I found that really helpful in writing my application and in getting motivation to apply. That's really interesting about relating to me again. You're raising loads of fantastic uh, new points that uh, I know that Nick and I will uh, analyse later. And, and the rewards then for the, the job that you're in, the role that you perform, Amelia, where do they come from? Yeah, I, I think that there are kind of a couple of different parts to it. So first, again, I got into renewable energy because I believe that we can make a positive difference by working in this sector. Um, I think that's why a lot of people join it. Um, so I think it's it's really fulfilling to see our research being used in the real world um, to interact with clients and realize that they, they are using our work for their long-term decisions. Um, so we are making a difference for the energy transition. But I also think that I enjoy, enjoy solving problems. This is kind of what I did during my degree. So it's a lot of fun to be working on a problem and then finally get it to work, see that you've made this project 
progress. I, I think there's both rewards from seeing the impact and I, I do enjoy the tasks that I'm working on. I think it's fun to be coding and solving problems. Running parallel clearly often to rewards and fulfillment can be challenges. You know, we all get them at some point. What? How would you characterize the challenges in what you do? Yeah, I, I think kind of coming from straight out of my degree with this role, I feel like there is more of more significant deadlines that, that we really do have to meet. So sometimes it can be stressful when you've promised clients that you will be able to give them something. Um, and so that means that you do have to make it. And sometimes it is difficult that the model isn't doing what we want it to do. And you have to um, figure out why it's not working and, and find a way through that. Potentially that someone's interest and uh, academic uh, ability they, and they're, what they're concentrating on, you know, could be a little different to your pathway if they want to do the work uh, that, that you do. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, I think so. Um, so I again, did kind of physics and focused on atmospheric physics. And we do absolutely use lots of meteorological data. Um, so there are some people in the company who may be more focused on using past weather data and just performing statistics, analyzing these data sets in order to forecast what future production from particular uh, renewable assets could be like. And then there are some people who are more focused on simply the coding side, um, so they might not need to know meteorology in order to um, represent other aspects of the energy market. And other parts of our company are also focused more on speaking to clients. So they might need to be able to understand enough of whether that's um, how weather affects energy or other aspects of the energy market in order to speak about with to, with clients, but they might not need to have a technical background. Always good in any industry, any sector to kind of have your, your radar up as uh, to know what's on the horizon, etc. What are the exciting, the big developments, the initiatives that you'd say someone needs to be attuned to when they're thinking uh, of, you know, looking to make a career out of it? Yeah, I think the progress of decarbonisation in the power sector is just it's going to be a very big change. So there's all sorts of things like more rooftop solar. It's going to change the kind of what hours of the day people's houses are going to need to, to buy more electricity or we're going to need to have more kind of low carbon, flexible energy technologies to be able to turn on when, when the wind or sun stops shining very quickly. So I think there's lots of different energy sector changes that people should be aware of. There's also quite a lot going on in the policy sector. So as all of these changes happen, sometimes countries are coming up with new markets and new regulations of the sector. So same as kind of climate change means that weather patterns are changing over time. In, in the, the energy sector, it's decarbonization to try and slow, slow climate change, which means that the future looks very different from the past. It really does. Uh, and final thought here, Amelia, um, if I were to ask you, which I will, um, to give us an example of, of how something that you've been involved in is something that you've done or suggested, I don't know, to a colleague or superior has made a palpable difference, uh, what would you say that is? I've worked on quite a few different projects during my roughly year and a half in the role. Um, but one of the most exciting to me was that our company recently ran a study um, for several clients looking at the future of guarantees of origin. 
So these are when, for instance, you get a certificate from your electricity provider saying that your electricity is 100% renewable. And in the past, when energy generators receive these certificates to sell, they might be valid for, say, a year. Um, and a lot of the certificates came from Nordic hydropower plants. But now some companies want to commit to hourly matching of their electricity usage um, or to buying energy from more recently built renewable energy assets, not Nordic hydro plants, which have been around for a while. Um, so I got to build the initial framework for a new model of this market and then was able to guide and oversee a newer employee as they took over the model. And now we're expecting this model to contribute to more regular updates of our forecasts of guarantees of origin. Um, so I'm really proud of that. We were yeah. working with clients who seemed really invested in the guarantee of origin market and the market's going to evolve so much going forward. So it's really cool that a model I helped to build is going to be guiding these clients through those changes. Skill set. First thing to say, uh, Nick, I thought this was a very striking point made by uh, Amelia in the second part there, that she went to a careers fair and she uh, fairly quickly found people at Aurora with, th with their stand there that she could relate to. So there's a great power in that, isn't it? The sense of, I suppose, being drawn to other people, the connection you feel with them. Yeah, careers fairs uh, happen loads, and in whether they're industry-specific ones or whether they are kind of particular in an area in your town or uh, whatever it might be connected to a, a university or college, that kind of thing. And they are amazing opportunities because you get to go and actually meet people and talk to them and say, you know, what's it like working here? Mm. Tell us a little bit about kind of what you do. And it, it's, it just kind of brings things to life more than a, a brochure and even, you know, online stuff, videos and, uh, and interactive things on websites. Never quite the same as actually meeting somebody and going, actually, I like these people. This seems, you know, they, they, they seem to be having fun. The, the, the way that they come across feels like something that, that draws me in and I could connect to. And I think that's a huge opportunity. And we, we absolutely endorse that and, and encourage listeners to to find out what careers fairs are happening in and around mm. the things that are of interest to you i suppose this is a bit of a, a gray area quite difficult to define is it easy to find out do you think about company culture before you're actually in it because th th that that's a real biggie something you're going to think well i really uh, like what they stand for the the principles their way of working which for me comes under that that umbrella of company culture yes yeah, certainly and yeah we've Probably yeah, you and I have heard many stories of people that joined a company because it looked good on the outside uh, and the, the job itself seemed like a good one and maybe the salary was great and all sorts of things like that. But actually when they got there, it wasn't a very nice place to be. Mm. And I think the world has changed so much now that you, you can go and find out lots about organisations before you get there. And of course, careers fairs are great because you get to meet people. But there's loads of, of other ways you can do that. So um, online reviews, you go to somewhere like glassdoor.com and you can search a particular company and, and you'll, you know, you'll find out a little bit about them because people who've worked there uh, will be writing reviews. You've always got to be a little bit careful how you take uh, online reviews, but you get a general flavor mm. of what that organization is like. You go somewhere, if you find a, a, a company and you put 
put them up on Google Maps. You know, a lot of them will have reviews and they will often talk about what they were like to work with or if you get a flavour of what their customers mm. say about them. You know, that will give you some clues. And then the other way, really, is is their social media you know, social media and other media, local media, if it's if it's in a local area to you, read the local paper. Mm. Are they involved with things? Are they doing things in the community that are really interesting? On social media, do they come across as interesting, fun, purposeful, community-oriented? You know, all of those sorts of things can be picked up. The personality of an organisation mm. you know, generally comes through if, if you take the time to look. And so I think, yes, you can find out quite a lot about an organisation before you actually kind of make a, a jump and, and become part of them. There's a rich illustration, I thought, fairly equally spread between what Hannah said and what Amelia said, of, of how businesses and organisations now, Nick, just you can't sit behind their own four walls and expect, as the recruitment sector calls it, you know, the, the talent to come to you. That, you know, you, you're out there, there's that sort of outreach work, getting to all sorts of things, putting all kinds of resources out there. And Hannah, in particular, painted this picture of, of our Mets being very attuned to the idea of outreach yeah definitely and and yeah you know, organizations have to be out out there being discoverable and visible you know and that's you know partly of uh the value of being on something like this the, the careers podcast it's it's partly why we're doing it to to kind of uncover some of the, the hidden gems that we might not otherwise have known about and say hey these these careers are interesting so being you know involved in podcasts being uh, sponsoring events and making what you do visible to others is is huge you can't just sit and wait perhaps in in certain uh, periods in the past you could be the big local employer and people would just come mm. to you i think that the competition for uh, for jobs and i think you know as as listeners those of you who are you know early careers or just about to embark on a career still thinking about what you can do realize that you you know you're um, you're in demand. Look around and do shopping and recognise that you're interviewing a prospective employer mm. um, just as much as they are interviewing you. We obviously recognise the importance, you know, the the pivotal role here of the STEM subjects. But, but I, I noticed it was said that creativity, if you're a creative person, shouldn't be overlooked. It's a really useful attribute. But easy to say, well, I don't see myself particularly as huge on the STEM stuff. So therefore, you know, maybe this isn't, isn't something I should be drawn to. But don't think about it like that. No, no. And um, John thinking a bit about um, later on in the year, November, we have Green Careers mm. Week. And, and very much the theme is, yes, any, any career can be a, a, a green career, but any, any kind of talent, any set of skills can be valuable in, in the weather and climate sector. Uh, because stories need to be told just as much as research needs to be done and data needs to be analyzed stories need to be told you know, things need to be sold um uh, ideas need to be developed and and creatively communicated to to the world and to others and to uh, you know within the industry and so yeah i, I really like that, that that it's not just a case of well if you're if you're stem great and if not if you don't have a particularly strong science background and and, and skill set this is still something to look at and certainly decarbonization of the energy sector is there a bigger issue on the planet and so to be involved in that you know, we've often talked about um, looking for a career that gives you a sense of purpose that you know, is going to do something practical 
in the world man we yeah, have what, what a way to do that when you're tackling you know perhaps the biggest issue on the planet you know, many would say yeah i also was reflecting on um on something else uh, hannah said and, and that was that she tended you know naturally to ask a lot of questions when she was uh, growing up and you know why is this happening with the weather why will that happen after you know and and just being naturally inquisitive that's a, a sort of default position but just shows you that that healthy uh, inquisitive place that you're coming from as long as you recognize those sorts of, of traits in yourself you can you can capitalize you can build on those self-knowledge mm. is one of the the greatest aspects of personal development as you grow and mature you think about the future the understanding yourself and and often the clues will go back to when you were really young we go actually i really was and talk to some parents relatives family friends teachers whoever people that have known you a while and go yeah you you know you you do have, seem to kind of particularly thrive in that kind of environment or that has always seemed to particularly interest you. Uh, ask those sorts of questions. What do you recognise in me that might be useful uh, in my future career? I think that's uh, that's really valuable. Sometimes we forget to do that or we just discount it. Well, that was when I was really young. But actually the, the traits there uh, can be clues as to the sorts of career that would be interesting and fulfilling. It couldn't be any more real life. And as you say, could there be a bigger theme and question than decarbonising the energy sector? Your eye was caught, Nick, wasn't it, by uh, work experience opportunities? Because I know this that this kind of hits home quite personally as well. Yeah, I was looking on the Armet's website, the uh, Royal Meteorological Society, and uh, there's opportunities for uh, work experience. There's an online, and I've involved with uh, helping one or two people at the moment thinking about work experience opportunities uh, and you can sign up on their website for a, a, a virtual work experience which i think is about seven hours worth of activities and once you've completed that you're eligible to apply for an in-person work experience so i know lots of young people listening will have to be finding work experience opportunities and that can sometimes be fairly tricky to organize so it's worth having a look you know do it do a virtual one again even if you don't do the in-person when you do something else then at least to have completed that will be interesting and again something that you can talk about in future interviews it's you know put it on your cv that sort of stuff but more than anything it just looked really really interesting yeah who doesn't love to talk about the weather and you know we, we look outside a window and, and there it is and Hannah was talking about that connection between you know, the work we're doing and it's immediate why you know why are those clouds the way they are why is it cold today and warmer tomorrow what's happening if, if I was starting uh, and, and looking at a career from scratch now I'd be thinking wow this this, there's so much here to interest. Yeah. Well, I, I, at the moment, Nick, as we're recording this and I'm looking through my studio window, we're probably looking at the preservation of uh, and, and reuse of, uh, of rainwater. <laughs> How to harness yes. the power of rainwater. <laughs> it's probably a good way yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah, very definitely. Um, <laughs> and yet it was bright somewhere. I am about half an hour ago, but yeah. it isn't now. Yeah, don't get us off talking about the weather now. That will uh, that will extend the podcast way longer than we need to be. <laughs> Wouldn't it just? Uh, now, the Careers Week hashtag is uh, NCW24. There are some variations of that, NCW2024, etc. on social media. Uh, and National Careers Week, as Nick said, nationalcareersweek.com is their website. Really uh, important to say, get involved. There's, mm. there's, there's so much going on. There's so much out there and, and that's part of National Careers Week and beyond. 
And, and so there's there's no no reason to sit not knowing. Things interest you. Go and find out. Uh, Nick, thanks so much to you. And also a big thank you, Hannah Mallinson and Amelia Adcroft from Aurora Energy Research and Armets. Uh, and Nick, I'll see you next time. Great. Thank you, John. The Careers Podcast, with the information you need to take the next step.